Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. Today, we have another episode of The Coach's Corner, so no guest, it's just me, and we'll be back next week with our normal interview format. But today I wanted to share some of my thoughts on some of my recent struggles with some body insecurities, as well as my thoughts around Weight Watchers' recent announcement that they are acquiring a company that gives them the ability to prescribe weight loss drugs. So without further ado, let's get on with today's show. Body dysmorphia, dieting, and muscle building. Okay. So I want to take a few minutes to talk about body dysmorphia and the desire to change. So before we embark on this conversation, let's take a few minutes to define what we mean by body dysmorphia. Wikipedia defines body dysmorphia as a mental disorder characterized by the obsessive idea that some aspect of one's own body part or appearance is severely flawed and therefore warrants exceptional measures to hide or fix it. So basically, this is a condition where one imagines a flaw in their appearance, which may not even be perceptible to others that may cause them shame, embarrassment, or anxiety. Since this can be an extremely sensitive and vulnerable topic, I thought I'd share some of my own recent struggles as a way of framing this conversation. Let me start out by saying that as a skinny, weak kid and teenager, I definitely identified with the skinny guy in the Charles Atlas ad who got sand kicked in his face and stood by helplessly as the big muscly guy stole his girlfriend. I was embarrassed and ashamed of my body, and the way I dealt with this was just by shutting down. I did nothing to address this and instead adopted unhealthy coping mechanisms. Fast forward a few years and I moved to coastal North Carolina after high school and I found surfing and I absolutely fell in love with the sport and I became obsessed. I mean, I was still a long ways from being a big, strong, muscly guy, but at least I was active and I developed a fairly lean, healthy body. Fast forward another decade or so and I ran my first marathon and I got hooked on endurance sports. I spent the next few years training for and competing in marathons and triathlons, and I looked like a middle-aged endurance athlete guy, which is to say I was super skinny. I mean, if you do a Google search for marathoners, the men and women you're going to find there, they're super lean, but they typically aren't very strong and hale and healthy looking. Anyways, fast forward another few years, and then something happened. I quit all endurance sports. Cold turkey. The reasons for this are a bit convoluted and it's probably another story for another day, but suffice it to say that my body changed. I basically went from running, biking, or swimming every single day to zero physical activity, like none, not even surfing. And for the first time in my life, I became overweight and unhealthy, like very, very unhealthy. Now, up until this point in my life, I'd always been skinny. I was a scrawny but scrappy farm kid, then a skinny and weak stoner teenager kid, and then what I'd call the time I was a skinny but fit endurance athlete. In looking back, the word that probably best described my relationship with my body over all these years would have been disconnected. But now all of a sudden, I found myself obese, and not just normal obese, but skinny fat. 
In other words, I still had skinny arms and skinny legs, but I had a fat trunk. I had what could best be described as a big old beer belly, and I had van boobs. And this is really where my story of body dysmorphia begins. While I didn't particularly like being skinny, especially my super skinny, super weak phase, I never took any action. In fact, I did the exact opposite and took deliberate inaction. But now, in my mid-40s, I found myself overweight and I was embarrassed by my body. I didn't want to take off my shirt when I went to the beach, and I didn't feel comfortable undressing in front of my wife. Not surprisingly, at this same time in my life, my health bottomed out. My wake-up call came in a three-day hospital visit. I thought I was having a heart attack, which is probably another story for another day, but suffice it to say... That was my turning point. That health scare literally changed the trajectory of my entire life. It took me almost a decade of research and self-experimentation to finally put all the pieces together and go from as obese and unhealthy as I've ever been in my life to being in the best shape of my life with a body composition that I was happy with and proud of. I mean, I rolled into my mid-50s feeling as strong, vital, and confident and capable as I've ever been in my entire life. For the first time in my adult life, I had visible six-pack abs. I was lifting heavier weights than ever, and I was even a decent age group CrossFit athlete. So this is where the story of body dysmorphia ends for me, right? Well, not so fast. So some of you may know that after doing a podcast episode with Adam Schaefer back at the beginning of this year, I decided to spend the entirety of 2023 training like a bodybuilder. Basically, I want to see how jacked I can get in a year. I turn 59 next month, and I'd love to roll into 60 as a jacked old man. Now, clearly after what all I've said, you might see how this would appeal to me. Mentally, and I suppose emotionally, I'm still that skinny, insecure kid getting sand kicked in his face. But putting that aside for the moment, I decided I was going to do what bodybuilders do. And the first thing bodybuilders do is they build muscle, like lots and lots of muscle. And they eat lots and lots of food. And this is known as the bulking phase, where the goal is to gain as much muscle size as possible while minimizing fat gain. All right, so back in January, I got on the gain train. I bumped my maintenance calories up from 3,300 to 3,800. And I switched my workout routine and I started getting stronger and gaining weight. I was 100% on the right track. So guess what I did? I decided to go on a diet. Just a quickie. I slashed my calories to 2,800 and I stayed there for two weeks. Why? Because in the mirror, I saw the fat version of myself from my 40s, which is absolutely ridiculous. I even took before and after pictures, and I posted those on my Instagram, by the way. And while I did, in fact, gain five pounds in about two and a half months, Objectively speaking, the two pictures looked almost identical. I wasn't fatter in the second picture. I mean, not in any appreciable measure. But that's not how I saw myself when I looked in the mirror. So I went on a crash diet and I lost five pounds. So basically, here I am three months into my bodybuilding journey and I weighed the exact same now as when I started. And the story I'm now telling myself is that I gained mostly muscle on my bulk and I dropped mostly fat on my diet. Maybe, but maybe not. But I feel like this is a common trap. All too often, we self-sabotage our long-term goals due to body dysmorphia and insecurities. 
I mean, I'm a pretty lean dude. If I want to train and look like a bodybuilder, I'm going to have to pack on some serious muscle. And that means eating in a calorie surplus and working out hard. And it also means a little bit of fat gain along with that territory. But if every time I think I see a tiny bulge around my midsection, whether that's real or perceived, I slash my calories and start a diet, I'll never reach my goal. I'll basically be treading water. I feel so neurotic sometimes. That skinny, weak kid part of me wants to be big and jacked. But the overweight 40-year-old version of me is terrified of even an ounce of perceived belly fat. So why share this silly story of my own body insecurities with you? Because I currently, today, have the absolute best relationship with my body I've ever had, and I still sometimes struggle. Because I realize that body dysmorphia is a raw and vulnerable subject that all of us face to one degree or another. It was my shame and disgust with my body, along with my failing health, that started me on this crazy health and wellness kick that I'm currently on. And it's what led to me eventually becoming a personal trainer and nutrition coach and starting my own health and wellness coaching business. And while body insecurities may have been the catalyst for my healthy change, self-disgust and body shame are unhealthy and aren't powerful enough for most of us to affect real, meaningful, healthy lifetime changes. In an ideal world, we'd all love our bodies exactly as they are today. And any changes we decided to make to our body composition would be made out of a place of self-love and compassion, out of a desire to treat our bodies as sacred temples that house our beautiful spirits. But real life isn't always like that. It's often messy and it's sometimes clogged up with our own psychic sewage. Sometimes we just need to get out of our own heads and get out of our own way. So I'm back to eating in a calorie surplus and focusing on building some muscle. And I'm trying to prepare myself for the fact that a little bit of fat gain is going to come along with the process. And that's okay. Obesity as a disease. So earlier this month, Weight Watcher made the announcement that it is acquiring a digital health company called Sequence, which offers telehealth services, but mainly gives Weight Watchers the ability to offer prescriptions for the appetite-suppressing drugs Ozembic, Wagovi, and Monjuro to their current clients. And while I find this move interesting on several levels, I thought it might be a good springboard into talking about the growing concept of obesity as a disease and the role of our medical system, big pharma, and government in treating this disease. And for those of you who aren't watching this on YouTube, I'm putting disease in very exaggerated air quotes. On the surface, this seems pretty obvious why Weight Watchers might want to buy a company that gives them the ability to sell prescription weight loss drugs. Weight Watchers customers are presumably people who are interested in losing weight, and some subset of these folks might be interested in prescription meds. But here's the thing. Up until now, Weight Watchers has been what I would call a lifestyle intervention company. In other words, they historically have treated obesity with diet and lifestyle improvements. Their website talks about things like losing weight without giving up the food you love and how their program changes your relationship with food. And the general idea is to teach people how to create food relationships and healthy habits that last for a lifetime. But now we see a sudden lurching 180 degree change in tactics with the acquisition of sequence. 
Now Weight Watchers is entering the obesity drug market in a big way. And this approach is radically different than the lifestyle approach to fat loss. Ozempic, which was originally developed as a diabetes drug, but later found to have appetite-suppressing side effects, it's now growing to be one of the most popular drugs for treating obesity. And again, I'm using overly exaggerated air quotes here when I talk, when I say treating. But why is Weight Watchers entering the prescription drug market? And more importantly, why are they doing this now? And the answer is simple. Of course, the answer is money. But not a little bit of money, a crap load of money. You see, there is a current movement afoot to try and classify obesity as a disease in and of itself. And of course, if obesity is classified legally as a disease, that means that not only can physicians and now companies like Weight Watchers prescribe drugs for the treatment of this disease, but now we open this up for insurance companies to cover these obesity medications, and we've just entered a whole new market and financial windfall for Big Pharma. Leading the charge for the obesity is a disease camp is Dr. Fatima Sanford. Dr. Sanford is an associate professor of medicine and pediatrics at Harvard Medical School, and she's a member of Biden's USDA 2025 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee, which is charged with determining dietary standards for Americans over the coming years. And she is one of the most highly cited scientists in the field of obesity, particularly when it comes to popular media. Dr. Stanford recently appeared on 60 Minutes where she made such claims as the number one cause of obesity is genetics and that diet and exercise have little impact on treating obesity. But here's the thing. Obesity is a modern problem. It didn't exist in any meaningful way even just a couple of generations ago. And spreading the message that the reason people are overweight and obese is their genetics and that diet and exercise are ineffective at controlling weight are simply untrue and incredibly disempowering. But this type of messaging has the pharmaceutical industry licking its chops in greedy anticipation. Now, before I go on and bash Big Pharma, let's put this into perspective. The worldwide spend on pharmaceuticals is $1.4 trillion dollars. And over half of that is spent right here in the U.S. Get this, 75% of all ad revenue is courtesy of Big Pharma. And Big Pharma spent over $100 million in its lobbying efforts in 2022 alone. Now look, I'll be the first to admit that Big Pharma has done some wonderful and amazing things for mankind. But the simple financial reality is they profit wildly from a sick and unhealthy population. Their primary business model is to come up with treatments for chronic diseases that clients need to take for the rest of their lives. Think about that. They aren't curing chronic diseases. They are treating symptoms, which is code for keeping them sick. And the minute a patient stops taking their drug, these symptoms return. Let's go back to Weight Watchers and their new acquisition. Let's say they prescribe Ozempic to a client and it's effective, that it suppresses their appetite, which causes them to eat less and they lose weight. Guess what's going to happen the second that client stops taking that Ozempic injection? Yep, they're going to gain that weight back 100%. 
Leaving the potential side effects of these drugs aside, you can see how this is a pretty good gig for drug companies, especially if they can transfer the cost barrier for these meds from the consumer over to the insurance companies. And look, I get it. If you're someone who has struggled with weight management issues your entire life, being told that you have a genetic disease, but through the marvel of modern medicine, it can be cured, has to sound pretty appealing. And as we alluded to in the last segment, this is an emotionally vulnerable population and sending the message that you are helpless due to your terrible genetics, but don't worry, take our miracle medicine has to sound pretty refreshing. And I'm not saying that there's no place for drugs like Ozempic or Wagovi in the fight against the obesity epidemic. My concern is opening of the floodgates for these drugs to be marketed to the masses so the big pharma can appease their shareholders. Okay, so <laughs> that was a bit of a rant. Let's see if we can send this out on a high note. If you are someone who is struggling with weight issues, understand that the deck is in fact stacked against you. All the marketing hype and the cascade of information and misinformation is overwhelming. And young, lean, fit people telling you how easy it is to lose weight and stay in shape, but they're young and already lean and in shape. And it's so much easier to maintain a lean, healthy body than it is to build one in the first place. My encouragement is this. Take a health-first approach to weight loss. Forget about dieting and focus on restoring your basic metabolic health. Practice loving yourself the way you are. Make small, healthy lifestyle changes. Be gentle, but be consistent. Forget about weight loss. Make optimal health your goal for the rest of this year. Seek out mentors and resources in this space. Make it your mission to become the strongest, healthiest, most vital version of yourself for the rest of your life. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other great resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you can find that over at silveredgefitness.com slash 179. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong. Stay strong.